Less than three months away from his return to Lumen Field, Russell Wilson probably didn't make too many Seahawks happy with his recent comments at his passing academy. We're going to be diving into his comments and much more on a jam-packed Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. And holy cow, joining me for our Monday episode, he is back from the dead. Maybe still a little bit in zombie form, but back with me, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're now in the doldrums of the NFL moratorium period, offseason programs over training camp six weeks away. But that doesn't mean that there's not NFL news. And we got plenty to break down for the Seahawks today. We're going to check out some of the latest comments from Russell Wilson. Probably won't rub too well with Seahawks fans in the Pacific Northwest. We're going to continue our 90-player countdown with numbers 85 through 81 and much more. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks, with six weeks until the start of training camp, fans are eagerly awaiting news that DK Metcalf has signed an extension with the Seahawks. That did not happen on Monday, but John Schneider was busy getting another player extended, Brian Monet signing a two-year, $12 million extension, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network. Monet actually just signed his exclusive rights tender earlier this spring, was due to make a little under a million dollars this season. Now he has a chance to make up to $13.8 million through the 2024 season, a much-deserved payday for the former undrafted rookie out of Michigan. Yeah, a big raise for a big man. And Corbin, it's good to be back on the program with you. Uh, you know, thanks so much uh, for all of our listeners who have been, uh, you know, listening in, uh, in while I've been gone. Certainly appreciate all, all of the, the support. Uh, feeling a lot better. And I'm sure Brian Monet is, is feeling a lot better now that he got this, this massive raise. Um, and as you said, I think that it is very well deserved. I mean, this is uh, a critical position in the 3 4 defense that Seattle is going to be playing that that nose guard role of course al woods um is in position to likely be the starter but at his age 35 uh you know you want to you want to make sure that you have the plan in place uh and, and monet is a former undrafted free agent as you mentioned he has just shown the work ethic the the talent the size everything that you're looking for at that position this does not look like a particularly dominant defensive tackle class coming up this next year corbin you'd really rather use those draft picks on positions other than the interior of the defensive line if at all possible and so i think that this was a, a move that seattle had to make to be able to free up some cash so you might be able to get some of those other big name players like you mentioned dk metcalf back into the fold as well some fans might look at the numbers and think two years 12 million dollars for a player that's only played 28 games in his nfl career has never been a full-time starter and they might be a bit baffled by the amount of money the Seahawks are going to be paying Monet. But as you mentioned, Al Woods, he might be your present, but he is not your future at 35 years of age. This nose tackle position is one of the most 
overlooked important positions in a 3-4 scheme. You need to have a big-bodied run stuffer that can two-gap and one-gap, can win with mere steps, and is going to be able to take on double teams and not give up ground at the line of scrimmage. Brian Monet has shown the last couple years that he is more than capable of doing that. When he first came in the league, this is a guy that had a lot of technical issues that needed to be cleaned up, and that was one of the reasons he went undrafted at his size coming from Michigan is that he was not a technically refined player. But working with Clint Hurt, who's now the defensive coordinator, he became the latest undrafted rookie defensive tackle to make waves following Puna Ford the year before. And now both these guys have gotten second contracts. And really, Brian Monet is just a perfect illustration of Pete Carroll's always compete mindset. Because we're talking about a kid that came into the league undrafted, made the team in week one. Now, he spent some time in the practice squad his rookie year. They cut him and they signed to the practice squad. He only dressed for four regular season games, played in the playoff game, but he quickly gained the coaching staff's trust, and that is huge in the NFL, especially in this system. And by his second season, he comes in at 345 pounds, as Pete Carroll called him, Svelte, coming in 20 pounds lighter than he was his rookie year. He showed his dedication, his work ethic, still a huge guy that's really difficult to move, but in better shape, in better condition, and played well in the 10 games he played in in 2020. Last year, had career highs in tackles with 35. He had two sacks, so he gave you some pass rushing contributions. Six quarterback hits, a forced fumble, a pass breakup. Brian Bonet stuffed the stat sheet for a nose tackle. You don't always see the impact these guys make at that position on the stat sheet. But Brian Bonet had, I believe, seven games with at least three tackles. You don't see a lot of nose tackles at 345 pounds that are doing that. And so the Seahawks did what they did with Puna Ford here. Not the athlete, obviously, but Brian Bonet has a different skill set, plays a different position. They rewarded him with money that he has earned. And he's only 26. He's got room to continue getting better. And I think this is a great scheme that's really going to accentuate his skill set. Yeah, and, and that's a, and another thing I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit more. As we're seeing more teams in the NFL, Corbin, go to that, the pass-happy schemes, then you're going to have a lot of centers who are smaller, who are quicker, who are more athletic, but are also very vulnerable to big men who are powerful and athletic, uh, just like Brian Monet. And as you mentioned before about why, what a good sign it is to to be rewarding the players that have put in their work. It's it's a it's a very difficult task to be able to find a a guy at Brian Monet's size that is uh, a hard worker that does keep himself in good shape. Um, and, and so again, you want to reward that. And again, the, the way that the, the NFL is shifting, uh, I, this is one of the things I applaud about Seattle's transition to more of a three, four defense is really trying to, uh, you know, be able to kind of counter what the rest of the league is, is doing with the way that they're building their offenses. Seattle is getting bigger at the point of attack and defenses and that should be able to kind of slow down, uh, opposing offenses, especially some of the smaller centers. Again, a lot of those that you see in the NFC West division. So, uh, a Big time move, I think, for the Seahawks to, to bring back Brian Monet. And again, I almost wonder if this is not something that the, the representatives, DK Metcalf, and other free agents that Seattle might be negotiating with, if they're not looking at this as well, that basically Seattle is saying, look, we will you know, reward our players who are doing the right thing. And if you don't get in on this money, it will disappear on you. There are other priorities here. So I think that this is, again, rewarding Brian Monet, but it's also sending a message to everybody else out there that uh, you better get in line, otherwise you're going to get left out 
I think that's a good point. And I think a good closing thought here for those that are wondering if this might be too steep of a price tag to extend Brian Monet. If you want to know the real impact that this player had in Seattle last year, you don't have to go very deep into the season. Look at the season opener against the Colts last year. I thought he was the player of the game in that game. He had five tackles. He almost decapitated Carson Wentz on a quarterback hit. Almost turned him into a pancake. His soul flew out. You could see his soul at midfield after that hit, I think. <laughs> and really, I don't know that Carson Wentz recovered from it the rest of the season, which at is why he's in Washington now. <laughs> yeah. There was a sequence in the second quarter that he made three consecutive tackles, and he was playing two-gap responsibilities on two of them. You could see the ability to shed blocks. And then the following week, Tennessee comes to town with Derrick Henry. And we know Derrick Henry is a monster. And Brian Monet's elbow was banged up after that first game. He did not play. I think if Brian Monet plays in that football game, Seattle wins fairly comfortably. But they were missing that big body in the middle of their defense in the second half. Tennessee wore him down with Derrick Henry and ended up coming back and winning the game in overtime. I think that spoke volumes to the Seahawks. And they finished in the top five in yards per carry allowed for second straight season. A big reason for that, figuratively and literally, was Brian Monet. And so he has earned that money. Now he's going to get a chance to continue to show that he can take on a bigger role, maybe play more than 400 snaps this year at the nose tackle position, and show that it was a smart investment by the Seahawks. Coming up next, we're going to continue our 90-player review. We're going to look at numbers 85 through 81. I think it's been a week since we started this series, but now that we've got Rob Brang back in the saddle again, we'll be looking at our next five players when we return at BlueNile.com. You can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of her dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece. All the prices you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams or celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry. No matter what you're looking for, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code LOCKEDON. Every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Visit BlueNile.com today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined once again by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, making it back after a bout with an illness last week. It was his first extended time away, and we sure missed him. Glad to have him back with us here for our Monday episode. We have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like, and don't like about Locked On Podcast, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. It's time to continue our 90-player roster rundown. We kicked this off last week, and then we've had a long hiatus here with Rob being out Wanted to wait to go through these players until you were able to return to the show. And so without further ado, Rob, it's time to get back to our 90-player countdown, numbers 85 through 81. And we're going to go local starting off here with number 85 from Washington State, joining forces with 
Abraham Lucas, the third round pick. Liam Ryan, a undrafted free agent signee that looks like he's going to be competing at the tackle positions in training camp. Yeah, it's the tackle positions that he has the greatest familiarity with during his time in the Palouse, Corbin. But um, because he has short arms, because he is a highly versatile player, uh, demonstrated that during his time at Washington State, also as a four-year starter, a lot like a Lucas. But whereas Lucas stayed at right tackle throughout his entire career, Liam Ryan moved up and down um, the entire offensive line for Washington State. And it's that positional versatility that I think makes him so intriguing here for Seattle. He's one of those guys that you say is kind of wired right. Reminds me a little bit of Jake Curhan and just the way that he is kind of has that mentality and again that versatility that you're looking for. Um, I, I think that he is appropriately placed on our list here. I think that he is an outside looking in, maybe a practice squad candidate at this point. But at the same time, I was impressed by the limited snaps I was able to see of him during the rookie minicamp. Yeah, and he did get injured at some point during the offseason program. So that is something worth noting. He was sporting crutches during mandatory minicamp. So I don't know what kind of injury that he's dealing with. Is he going to be ready after these six weeks off? Who knows? But you mentioned the versatility. I'm going to throw this out there. He didn't play center at Washington State, but this is the kind of kid that maybe would be worth taking a look at at that position and seeing if he could pick it up. Because if you could develop him on the practice squad this year as a center – he might potentially be a guy that could play for you on Sundays. Two years ago, he was an all-conference player in the Pac-12, so he's not a slouch, but not a great athlete. You mentioned the length. I don't think that he's going to be able to play tackle in the NFL, so his best chance to make it in the league is either going to be at guard or if he gets the chance to play center. I would be intrigued if Seattle would give him that opportunity, especially with Kyle Fuller and Dakota Shepley being on one-year deals, they might be looking for a younger player they can develop that maybe can play behind Austin Blythe or maybe even become the starter down the road. Liam Ryan is a player that I think could make some sense in that capacity. Next up on our list at number 84, Matt Gotell coming from Tacoma. And Rob, you and I have talked about him a few times. West Florida graduate, started his college career as a JUCO player coming out of Tacoma, was there for two years, then went to West Florida, won the Division II national title with West Florida, was a key contributor to that team, missed all of 2020 due to the COVID pandemic, comes back last year, West Florida, really productive once again. And this kid is built like a barn, six foot one, 341 pounds, short, stocky. And I didn't get a chance to see any of his games at West Florida, but just being able to see how he moves on the field during OTAs and minicamp, this kid for a 341-pounder, as short and stocky as he is, has got some quickness, and it looks like he's got some pop in his hands. Now, we'll wait and see what it looks like against real players because they've played fake football to this point, but he is a player that I am fascinated by just because I see the size, I see some quickness, you see some pop in his hands. If he can translate that to training camp in the preseason – This might be your next undrafted defensive tackle that can down the road play some snaps for Seattle. Probably not this year with the players they have, but could play down the road, be a practice squad developmental player this year. 
Yeah, that's what we've talked about in the past as well, is that Seattle's ability to find these diamond-in-the-rough types, especially along the defensive line. That's a big reason why Clint Hurd has continued his kind of ascent up the coaching ranks here in Seattle because of the success of the aforementioned Brian Monet getting that two-year extension. Puna Ford, another undrafted free agent as well, both of them being signed uh, you know, to extensions by Seattle. And, and that's exactly what you're hoping for with, with Gotell. As you mentioned, just the big side, you know, just his, his incredible frame, uh, you know, and the combination of that and his initial quickness, his power, um, really intriguing in the three four alignment. I mean, is he likely to make this roster right now, considering he's got Al Woods and Brian Monet ahead of him playing the exact same position, the exact same type of role? Probably not. But at the same time, if he shows that he does have that work ethic, then there is some legitimate talent there. And then, uh, quickly, it was during the workouts where I was able to kind of see what Gotel could do because, like you, I wasn't able to kind of get a hold of, of his tape. His college tape for me i was at the the washington state pro day i previously mentioned liam ryan in the mini camp it was actually his pro day workout that i was kind of flashing back to so i apologize for misspeaking there but uh, again two players that are on seattle's roster for a reason because both of them are very talented looking next on our list now i apologize if i butcher this this has been a name that i've been practicing for weeks i actually got it on my 90 man primers that i posted and i repeated it a couple times but it's still been a struggle coming from Framington State, a Division Three school, Joshua Onigiogo. I believe I actually nailed it that time. He was one of the most productive players in Division Three a year ago, 13 and a half sacks. He was a two-time conference defensive player of the year for the Rams. He's 252 pounds, has good size, length. Not a great athlete in some senses. Ran a 4.940, which is not fast at 252 pounds, but a 6.93 second three-cone drill. So he's got great change of direction skills, like almost borderline like a secondary player type movement skills, change of direction, 34 and a half inch vertical jump. So he's got some explosiveness. And I've seen some things on the practice field that suggest to me that maybe just maybe this could be a kid to keep an eye on, especially with Al Changum being released last week. Now that's one less guy that he's going to have to compete against. Another player that it seems like it's far-fetched he's going to be on the 53-man roster, but coming from Division Three, big learning curve. You give him a year to practice on the practice squad, get all those reps, get stronger, work on maybe adding a little bit more speed to his game. Again, could be another guy that could play his way into a roster spot in the future for the Seahawks. He absolutely could. Uh, and, and again, I, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name either. It looks like Onu to start off. And I'm going to say, oh, no, that could be what opposing defense or opposing offensive tackles are thinking about when they see this kid who his, his production has been through the roof, Corbin. I mean, you mentioned the fact that he played at the Division three level. You mentioned the fact that he's 6'3", 250 pounds. He played some defensive end and some defensive tackle. And then Seattle's likely to be using him at that outside linebacker kind of a role, just rush the passer but you consider that this kid played 47 career college games 47 games and in those 47 games he had 67 tackles for loss 
I mean, 67 tackles for loss. And I mean, that, that's obviously, uh, you know, a full third more. He had 36 sacks in those 47 games. So, I mean, this is an incredibly productive player. He was the only Division three player to sign with the team uh, following the 2022 draft. The, the Patriots, the Texans were, were both also interested in him. And the one thing I do know, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't know how to pronounce his college's name. I know how to pronounce his agent's name. His agent's name is Joe Linta. And Joe Linta and I have, have talked on, you know, for on and off for, for 20 years now. And Joe Linta is one of the absolute best. I'm sorry for making this commercial for Linta, uh, but <laughs> he, he is one of the best at, at finding diamond in the rough type of prospects. We talked, like I said, for years and years. And so if Linta is on board with this kid, the Seahawks are on board. I think he absolutely is somebody that Seahawks fans should be paying close attention to. You mentioned Changham. Good football player, and the fact that he's no longer with Seattle, and this kid still is on their on their roster, I think uh, bodes well for this young man. Looking at number eighty-two, we finally have somebody that's a returning player. To this point, it's been mostly incoming rookies or players that were elsewhere last year. But Pierre Olivier Lestage, who last year you may remember, Rob, he was one of our darlings going into training camp. We thought that he might be that center convert that could be developed on the practice squad, and then he had sports hernia surgery last July. Missed most of training camp, did play in the preseason finale, but didn't get a chance to see him play center. They didn't even try him there. They had him at guard, spent the entire season on the practice squad, now missed the entire offseason program. From what I could tell, he was out with an undisclosed injury, maybe a knee-related issue, whatnot. So his status remains unknown. I don't think Pete Carroll was asked about his injury status that's kind of where he is at at this point. Lestage has gone from being a fascinating incoming undrafted rookie to being a second-year player who spent last year in the practice squad and insurmountable odds to make this football team now, especially with Shamarius Gilmore coming in from Georgia State. Jake Curhan can play guard. Maybe Liam Ryan can play guard. Suddenly, things are not looking so rosy for Lestage. If he can't get healthy, it's not going to matter anyway. But we've seen the tape from him playing at the University of Montreal, and we liked what we saw, the physicality, the athleticism. If he can show some of that in the preseason training camp, maybe he ends up getting back into good graces with the organization. Maybe they look at him at center. But right now, the outlook just looks pretty murky for him because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And as an undrafted player, you just can't afford to have that happen. Exactly. And and with most of these other players, you, you have the tape, uh, at least collegiately, against pretty high-level competition you can kind of go back to. But um, with Lestage, of course, he, he playing college ball um, in, in Canada, th there's just not the same level of competition. Um, and so he already is behind the eight ball a little bit from that regard. So he has to get back onto the field. He has to prove uh, that he has made strides. Otherwise, I think that's going to be the most difficult uh, road of any of the players that we've talked about so far uh, today. To, to make a spot on this roster just because he does have a lot of bodies ahead of him who, again, have a little bit more experience. And so quickly making our, our transition to another back that uh, another player that um, the Seahawks fans should probably be at least a little bit more familiar with, and that'd be the running back Darwin Thompson. Um, didn't have, uh, obviously, uh, much experience here in Seattle, but was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, um, was, spent some time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well, um, played his college ball at Utah State where he was very productive – 
I mean, he's 5'8", 200 pounds. He is a short, squatty Sherman tank of a back, Cormac, but he catches the ball well out of the backfield. Um, he is kind of that jitterbug and more powerful than he looks type of a back that, um, like we just talked about before with Lestage, he's got a lot of, of bodies uh, ahead of him. But at the same time, this is a legitimately talented player who I think if he doesn't make Seattle's roster, then he is going to be very much a, a phone call away from a lot of other clubs who are going to be showing some interest as well. Yeah, you're playing at one of the deepest position groups in Seattle's roster. And Thompson does have intrigue. You look at what he did his pro day, 200-pound running back. He put up 28 reps of 225 on the bench press. Yeah, the, the guy is powerful. He's quick. Doesn't have the best straight line speed necessarily, but he but he's explosive. This guy put on a show at Utah State's Pro Day, and it just never worked out in Kansas City. He had other players in front of him. They drafted a running back in the first round a few years ago, and he just never had a spot there for him, and he was never able to develop a role there beyond just getting a handful of carries. Didn't get a single carry all of last season, so he has not been as productive in the NFL as I think some people thought he would coming out of Utah State. But he does have the ability to catch. He's explosive. He's got some toughness between the tackles. It's just going to be really tough, though, unless there's some injuries in front of him. I find it hard to believe he's going to be able to push DJ Dallas or Travis Homer for the third down running back role. Maybe you stash him on the practice squad. That gives you really good depth and an explosive athlete that you can call up in a pinch. And we know they've had running back injuries. But I think as far as the 90-man roster is concerned, or 53-man roster is concerned, He's going to have a very difficult time making this team, given the logjam in front of him. Maybe another team, if he plays on the preseason, will take a flyer on him. But certainly, he's on the outside looking in as we head towards the start of training camp. Russell Wilson's been a Denver Bronco for a few months. Many Seahawks fans have been trying to move on. But with number three coming back to Lumen Field for the season opener, of course, he's got to throw a few shots out there at his passing academy. We're going to be breaking down those comments and what it might mean heading into that season opener at Lumen Field. We'll be discussing when we return. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source. For all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and scores. And betonline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. Betonline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The first picks of the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft have been made. Search now for the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and get over 50 insiders, the Odyssey sports experts, the draft experts of Locked On NBA Big Board. The five-episode Ultimate NBA Mock Draft is underway. Make Ultimate NBA Mock Draft your second listen today. It's been a handful of months now since Russell Wilson was traded to the Denver Broncos. The trade brought several first-round picks to the Seahawks, a couple second-round picks. They added three veterans, including quarterback Drew Locke and defensive tackle Shelby Harris and tight end Noah Fant in return. So a blockbuster deal, sending the best franchise quarterback in Seahawks history to the Mile High City. And I think many Seahawks fans were hoping at that point that, you know what, this is going to fade away into the news, we're going to move on. But Russell Wilson had to 
shoot a couple shots here at his passing academy, which is now in Colorado, no longer in Washington, had to take a little bit of a shot. Here's what he had to say at his passing academy. Rob, I want to make sure that I go to a city that wants to win. I want to make sure that I go to a team that wants to win. And I want to go to a city that knows how to win. And all three of those boxes were checked off here in Denver. Again, Russell Wilson making that comment at his passing academy. Now, Rob, you and I both know many are going to view this discussion here as offseason fodder. And to an extent, it is. But at the same time, you got to start putting some gasoline on the fire because we've got three months until Russell Wilson's coming back to Seattle to face his former team. And certainly, this is ammunition. This is that gas to put on the flame, making such comments here after such a successful run in Seattle to take shots at the city, at his former team, and, and, you know, both at large, just in general, saying, you know, maybe they didn't want to win. You made the playoffs eight out of ten years, for crying out loud. Well, and and that's the thing. That's why I think just right off the bat, just to look at what he said and then look at the facts of the matter, um, the the fact that that Seattle has won a Super Bowl since last time the Denver Broncos won a Super Bowl, uh, you know, and he might remember that one and the opponent, um, you know. And and so right off the bat, uh, I just think that it's kind of a ridiculous statement. Um, I think that it's more meant to to, kind of hype up the the Denver Bronco fans out there uh, rather than it is any kind of real slight to Seahawks fans or to the people of the Seattle, Washington, United States of America, geographic location, you know, anything like, I don't think of him, he means anything negative that way, but at the same time, you, you have to know that's the way that this is going to be taken by an awful lot of people. If you're Russell Wilson, especially the public savvy uh, Russell Wilson that he has always been. So yeah, I, I think that he does, does deserve some criticism here because he is just factually incorrect. Um, and I also think that he was kind of trying to sling some arrows on, on his way out of town. And that does not, I don't think, uh, you know, give a, a good look for a guy who has been as, uh, interested in protecting his uh, persona as possible. Yeah, I think you look at this when superstar players leave one team and go for another team. There's very rarely an instance where, you know what, this was amicable by amicable by both sides. And I think that's how Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson have tried to play this off because Russell Wilson, after the trade happened, his press conference in Denver, his initial press conference, made it clear that he hoped to stay in Seattle. He tried to paint a picture that the Seahawks were the ones that wanted to move on from him. Pete Carroll, on the other hand, insinuated that Russell Wilson really wanted a fresh start, that he wanted a second chapter. These comments suggest to me that that is what was going on there. And and based on what I've been told in the last couple of months, with how things de-escalated the last few months that Russell Wilson was in a Seahawks uniform, the way last season played out, some players saying that he checked out. All of this adds up to me that it really was Russell Wilson pulling strings. I mean, there's a reason he and his agent were looking into a bunch of different teams and trying to figure out who's the best fit. He wanted that fresh start. And this comment just further hints at that. You wouldn't be saying something like this if you were fully bought into the city of Seattle to the Seahawks and both the city and the team wanting to win. You don't make a comment like this if you believe that. And so I think that's why we are where we are now. And I think 
a lot of your fans that are Seahawks fans that have been, you know, staying on Russell Wilson's side to this point, this isn't going to sway all of them. But I do think some of those fans are going to be less enthusiastic about seeing Russell Wilson come back to Lumen Field in week one. And I think that the attitude in the stadium, it's going to be a lot more anti-Russ now with this co- these comments being made. That's my belief. I think that it could, um, you know, I, that, that to me is one of the, the the actual good points. I think that Russell Wilson does make though, is he, he said that he wanted a team that wanted to win. And, and, you know, I, I think that the, the Seattle fan base, whether it'll be for the Seahawks, the Mariners, the Supersonics, you know, whoever the case might be, um, you know, the, I think the Seattle is a rabid fan base um, and has shown its, its ability to, uh, you know, to support all, you know, all, all kinds of teams um, and all kinds of sports. But at the same time, I think that Russell Wilson also saw the way that some Seahawks fans, when the, the Seahawks were having as much success as they did, they started to sell those seats, those seats. And you started to see some of the rival fans start to show up to some of these football games. And it wasn't as loud um, as it had been. Now, argument could be made that if you win a few more football games, then maybe those Seahawks fans are not going to be selling those seats. They're just going to, you know, they're, they're going to want to be there in person. But still, I almost wonder if that's one of the things that that he, um, you know, kind of is bringing to the table here in, in his comments. And so that to me is a direct challenge that I think that the Seahawks fans themselves should be hearing in this message um, you know, from Russell Wilson. Uh, so to me, that that's one other thing that I think that we have mentioned. And, and finally, try to just give it a a little bit more perspective. I think that the way that this story has been kind of painted is that the Seahawks believe that, you know, Russell Wilson forced his way out and the Seahawks are going to say that. And Russell Wilson's going to say it. the Seahawks kind of forced him out. Russell Wilson's going to always going to say that. That's just the way that things are going to go. I think there's a possibility that the, both things happened. That the Seahawks basically said, look, this is how much money we are willing to dedicate to the quarterback position. And Russell Wilson believes that he is what is going to lead a franchise to the Super Bowl. And so therefore he is going to be commanding so much money. So I think that those fans out there who are on the edge about who to blame, watch the money, watch what Russell Wilson does in Denver. Does he ever take less money or does he continue to want basically to have all of his cake and eat it too, to say that he is all in and trying to win uh, another Super Bowl, but at the same time taking the lion's share of the dollars that his NFL team, now the Denver Broncos, are able to actually use on players. As the great Obi-Wan Kenobi once said, only a Sith deals in absolutes. And so I 100% agree with you that this is a case where the Seahawks, to an extent, forced Wilson out, whether it's the contract demands or not having an offense that completely ran through the star quarterback and Russell Wilson wanting to be in a situation like that, maybe wanting to be in a different city, be in a different environment that really embraces his unique talents. I think when you couple those things together, they tried to mend fences last year. They tried to make this work. Hey, let's go after one more run. It was kind of that Chicago Bulls last dance thing, except it didn't end well. You go 7-10, and Wilson gets injured, and I think at that point, things had broke down enough that the Seahawks looked at the state of the roster, felt like we need to infuse this roster with young talent. How do we do that? we get rid of Russell Wilson. And I think on the other hand, Russell Wilson, he and his agent were looking at a bunch of teams who would be the best fit. It just came together. I think in the long run, that's the way that it is going to be viewed. But when week one comes in September, I think that narrative is probably not going to be there. You're going to have two distinct sides. You're going to have the pro Wilson side and you're going to have the 
anti-Russell Wilson side. And I'm expecting that those people are going to be very loud and, and try to remind Russell Wilson just what Lumen Field can be when the 12s are at full volume. I can't wait. I, you know, we don't know who's going to win the game. Maybe Russell Wilson comes in and absolutely cooks his former team, whatever. But I don't know that there's been a season opener that's been this anticipated for a long time because it's just very unique circumstances. And then again, Russell Wilson just poured gasoline on the fire. And I figured there will be some other things said leading up to that game once we get there that's going to further ignite that flame. It's just going to make it that much more dramatic in week one. It certainly is. Like you said, I'm very much looking forward to that game as well. Um, I I just have a sneaky suspicion there's going to be such emotion in the air that I still think that Seattle is going to be able to pull off that upside. I look forward to breaking it all down uh, You know, on, on our next installment of Locked on Seahawks. Yeah, we're going to be starting to look at all of Seattle's upcoming opponents a bit more in depth. So, of course, we're going to be starting with the Denver Broncos, and that'll keep things interesting as we get closer to the start of training camp. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're available five days a week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming video form five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, as Rob just mentioned, we're going to kick off our schedule series. Going to be looking at all Seattle's opponents individually. We'll be looking at the Denver Broncos tomorrow. And continuing our 90-player countdown, we'll be looking at numbers 80 through 76. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.